The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. Your host is Jessica Pirro. In today's program, we will provide awareness and education on various types of crises, the impact they have on one's well-being, and provide help to empower hope for you or someone you love. This program will help you understand various types of crisis situations by hearing from experts in the crisis response field, as well as those with lived experience through a difficult time. Now, here's Jessica Pirro. Good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Hello, and welcome to the premiere of The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. I'm excited to be sharing this hour with you to talk about topics that are at times uncomfortable and can be scary, but also can be life-threatening if help is not sought and hope is lost. My goal is to provide information, but also resources for you to reach out to for help and guidance and how to truly move your story from a crisis to hope. We are coming to you live from Buffalo, New York, uh, where I proudly serve as the CEO of Crisis Services, which is the 24-hour crisis center for Buffalo and Erie County. We provide numerous services in supporting uh, individuals dealing with various types of crisis situations 24 hours a day. So to learn more about our agency, you can go to www.crisisservices.org. Uh, During our time together every Tuesday uh, in this hour, we're going to share different types of challenges, including stories around suicide, mental health, domestic violence, for example. And we want to let you know that you're not alone and that there is help and there is hope. So before I introduce my two amazing guests who are joining me today for this premiere show, I just wanted to let you know that the topic of suicide may be difficult for some who lost someone to suicide or is having thoughts of suicide at this time. So if you are listening and you need to talk to someone, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's a 24-hour hotline to help those thinking of suicide or for friends and family needing support to talk with someone you love. The National Suicide will link you to your local crisis center to help you at any time. So during this hour, if you need immediate help or support, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That is 1-800-273-8255. So I want to introduce my two guests who are joining me today. Uh, My first guest is Olivia Retalic. She is the coordinator of the Suicide Prevention Coalition of Erie County. And Olivia has earned her uh, master's in thanatology. Am I saying it correctly? Thanatology. Oh, thanatology (laughs) uh, from Hood College. Um, And she's done a ton of counseling work in the fields of domestic violence, substance abuse, and crisis response. So we are fortunate to have Olivia as part of our team here at Crisis Services since 2012. Um, She has been running our Suicide Prevention Coalition, and she's also a volunteer locally for our SMART team. And she's also a trained trainer in many suicide 
suicide prevention, evidence-based models such as QPR, Safe Talk, Assist in the Lifelines Trilogy uh, that's provided in schools, which we're going to talk a little bit later on in the show. And my other amazing guest today is Lisa Beringer, who is a social worker with the Buffalo City Schools, but is also a survivor who has lost her uh, sister and her aunt by suicide. Lisa received her Master's of Social Work locally here at the University of Buffalo. She is a New York State licensed clinical social worker. Um, Her expertise is in crisis prevention and response in school settings. Uh, She is also the co-chair of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention's Out of the Darkness Walk for Suicide Prevention in Buffalo, New York over the last four years. Um, And she currently serves on the board as well for the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. So thank you both for joining me today today um, for this premiere show of the journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Um, As we get started today, uh, we are going to be talking about suicide and all uh, different information around that. Um, So first, we'd like to just start off by asking Olivia or Lisa, um, you know, what are uh, the types of groups that we see that are most impacted by suicide? Um, sure. So there are a number of uh, what we refer to kind of as high risk, high risk populations. Um, our veterans are at the top of that. Um, locally and nationally, we have middle-aged men, um, middle-aged white men that are, are unfortunately at the very top of our um, high risk group. Um, but we also have a number of other um, another uh, individuals, um, individuals of the LGBTQ community, um, sometimes postpartum uh, women. Um, Lisa, do you have any other groups that you're seeing when you're working in the school districts? Um, I know young males, um, and that can be from ages to 15 to 49. Also, people who are in custody um, and people with mental illness. And also, um, anyone who's been exposed to a suicide, any individuals who have lost somebody they know or love, um, increases their risk as well for suicide. Um, I think one of the things around the issue of suicide, mental health, a lot of the issues that we deal with here every day is stigma around seeking help and just being scared to reach out for help. Can we talk a little bit about what are some of the reasons why there's such a stigma around reaching out for help, especially around suicide? Suicide has been a taboo topic for a long time um, for all different reasons, people's religious beliefs and even just mental illness in general. And not everyone who dies by suicide does have a mental illness, but 90% of people do. Um, I think it's just a hard topic for people to talk about. Mm Yeah, and I think there's a lot of fear around what do I do if I reach out and get help or, you know, what if I see somebody who may need that help and I I don't know what to do if they answer, yes, I am thinking about suicide. Um, What are the resources? You know, unfortunately, there's, you know, some movies and and media portrayal that have made reaching out and getting help this this kind of unknown in the fear. So if you're not working in the field, you're not really sure what's going to happen to my friend or my family or myself if I call in and tell somebody I'm thinking about suicide. Suicide, just a lot of fear around that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think one of the things we want to definitely share with our listeners today is ways that we can um, start to identify maybe what are the signs that somebody might be thinking of suicide, maybe what are some of the risk factors. So could we talk a little bit about um, maybe what might be some some issues that um, individuals experience that might lead them to think about suicide? 
Yeah, and I think first it's really important to understand the difference between what a risk factor and a warning sign are. So we like to use a couple of different analogies, but um, the main one that I use is the difference between, you know, being at risk for heart disease versus having a heart attack. So if tomorrow I go into my doctor's office and they say, you know, okay, Olivia, you've gained a little bit of weight, you know, you have a poor diet, you haven't really been exercising, then they may say, you know, you're at risk for heart disease. But if I go in tomorrow and I'm not, you know, breathing well and I'm perspiring and I'm having pain, then they're certainly going to say you're at risk right now for a heart attack. So we need to think about suicide in kind of the same situation, that there's certainly risk factors that honestly we all sort of can fit into some of those categories at different times versus warning signs, um, which a warning sign meaning that someone's at risk or you yourself are at risk right now for, for thoughts of suicide. I think it's an important piece you talked about is in, in helping with the stigma is to understand that mental health is health in health in general, that it's a part of us. It's, it's, a, it's a major part of us. And a lot of times we treat it very differently instead of looking at it similar that we would look at it to other types of physical health issues. So I think one of the um, important pieces with this show and a lot of the work that's going on in our community here in Buffalo as well as nationally through groups like the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention is to make sure that people understand that it's safe to come forward and talk about how they're feeling because it can be very life-saving for them or someone that they love. Um, what are some um, experiences maybe you have seen in your work um, when you've had somebody come to you and just start to express signs of concern to you around suicide? What might be things that they say? Um, a lot of times I've had clients or students say to me, I don't want to be here anymore. I I can't live like this anymore. I'm just going to end it. Other um, symptoms or warning signs might be if they're giving away their belongings or sort of stopping doing things that they normally do, changes in their behavior. Yeah, that change is a really big piece. Um, you know, at first, there there are the very direct statements or what we also say are indirect statements. So, you know, I'm too tired to go on or, you know, I just can't deal with this anymore versus very direct, you know, I'm thinking about hurting myself right now. I'm thinking about killing myself. But that change piece that you talked about, Lisa, is huge. You know, we talk about what are those small things and big things that maybe we're seeing somebody um, doing differently. So are they starting to isolate? Are they going out to the things that they always enjoy doing? Are they staying in touch with friends or are they starting to withdraw? Um, as well as just uh, the idea of something changing in their in their mood um, or their you know outward behavior. But when you see somebody who's been really sad or somebody who's been really happy and then the next day their their demeanors change, you know, so they've Absolutely. gone from very sad to happy or very happy to sad, checking in and trying to understand what's caused that change. Um, have you heard about that before, Jessica, that even that change of going from sad to happy? Absolutely. And I think that that is, you know, a lot of times when people are um, feeling down or depressed and family members are trying to help and support them, um, they just want them to be happy. So when they shift, you know, gears that quickly and they see their loved one very happy all of a sudden and they're thinking, oh, they're doing okay, um, we have to remember that that also can be a real high risk factor um, that those behaviors have change so quickly um, and you still need to be talking with them and talking with them about how they're feeling and um, what they're thinking um, especially at that moment. So. Yeah because I know that if someone is you know depressed for a long 
period of time and then all of a sudden is happy. Sometimes it can be that they've made their decision, that they've come up with a solution to their problem, and that is that they're going to end their life. So, like you said, we do have to be careful about that. And also, I think it's important to point out that not everybody's depression shows up as sadness. It can come out as anger. I work with students all the time who are depressed, but it comes out as anger, and they will have behavior problems or just get angry at the drop of a hat. Um, Anxiety can be another big symptom. Absolutely. So all of those things. It's not only depression and tearfulness, but it can be other symptoms as well, such as anger or anxiety. Yeah. And I think what's interesting as we talk about this is that – you know, the signs and the risk factors and potential symptoms, um, we might see them and we might look at them, but what it really comes down to is asking somebody directly, um, you know, you seem like you've been having a hard time lately, you seem like, um, you know, you are isolating or, you know, your behaviors have changed dramatically, Um are you thinking of killing yourself? And I think that that's one of the the scary steps for people to take um, is to actually ask directly. But it's also, I think, the most life-saving question that somebody can ask. But I think one thing I'd like to talk a little bit about is myths about talking about suicide. Um, We hear a lot that, um, you know, talking about suicide is going to put thoughts in people's heads or especially in young, you know, teens, um, especially a, a very vulnerable population. Um, that if we talk about these issues, then it's going to make them act or do them. What, what are your thoughts on that? What have you seen uh, around that? And how do we deal with kind of breaking down that myth that um, talking about suicide is going to cause it? I see that a lot in the schools. Um, teachers and administrators, you know, even parents, we don't want to talk about suicide um, because we think it's going to give the students, you know, or anybody an idea that, oh, I'm feeling sad, so I'll kill myself. But that, it's not true. Everybody knows about suicide, especially with the media, the social media, movies, news, everything. Everybody's aware of suicide. Um, It's important for us to talk to people about it not being an option, you know, not being a solution to a problem. Absolutely. You know, asking somebody... Um, very, you know, directly, are you thinking about suicide as a very different statement than are you thinking about hurting yourself or thinking about harming yourself? And the only way that we can really open that line of communication with somebody who may need our help is by asking directly, um, you know, and, and, and basically sending the message to them that it's okay for them to tell you that you're a safe person for them to have that conversation with, but Absolutely. that we can't give that idea to somebody. You know, we say that at any given time, one in 20 people in our in, in our communities are thinking about suicide. So by being able to ask very directly with them and opening that line of communication just may give us the opportunity to help save their life. I think, you know, when we've talked with um, attempt survivors here at the agency or with people that um, we work with, a lot of times people do say, um, when we say, you know, why didn't you talk with somebody? Why didn't you call the hotline? Why didn't you reach out for help? Um, you know, it was it was scary for them, but they also said, you know, nobody asked me how I was doing. You know, my behaviors were different, but nobody asked. And I think that we put a lot 
of um, responsibility on the individuals who are suffering at that moment to reach out for help, but as a community, um, as friends and family, um, kind of moving past our own comfort, uncomfort, if you will, of just asking how somebody's doing is really, really critical um, to have uh, an impact on preventing suicide um, locally as well as nationally. This is a national issue. This isn't just a, a local issue here in Buffalo or in New York. Um, we see these numbers, um, you know, continuing to increase, um, and we we really, as a community, need to come together and try to help support people um, to know that it's safe to come forward. And I think you mentioned that earlier, Olivia, about the safety, um, providing that safety for people to come forward is is really important. Um, so just to kind of reiterate for our listeners again, what are what are just some simple ways you can talk with somebody? What are some direct questions we could be asking people? I think the most important question is what you said before, Jessica, are you thinking about killing yourself or are you thinking about suicide? Because then people know that it's okay, you're comfortable with it, and it's okay to talk about it because, I mean, talk saves lives. It really does. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about it as a community. We need to talk about it personally. And probably the biggest question I get asked is, how do you start that conversation? You know, and it does take courage to step into that place with somebody, and it takes courage for the person with thoughts of suicide to share about that. And so a lot of times we say to use your senses. What is it that you're seeing, hearing, or feeling that makes you want to ask somebody and you're worried that suicide might be, you know, on the table? And so being able to share those things that you're seeing, feeling, um, and hearing, and, and then open up the dialogue at that time. Absolutely. Okay, we're getting close to our first break, so I just want to reiterate again, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number is 1-800-273-TALK. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. So um, we are going to be talking throughout this hour about the issue of suicide, how to link you for help and support, and how to make sure that you have the tools you need to help save a life for someone that you love, uh, that you work with, um, that you're, you know, maybe a neighbor with. Um, It's all about supporting one another to help prevent a suicide from occurring. Um, So stay with us, uh, and we will continue our story around suicide from loss to hope. So thank you again for tuning in for our premiere show. And again, the number for the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. And if you have information or questions, you can email me at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. Please stay tuned for our continued discussion on suicide from loss to hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. 
This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pira. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you again for joining us today. Um, I'm Jessica Pirro, and I'm just very honored to be sharing um, this story with you today around suicide. I think it's such a critical conversation. Um, it is life-saving, um, and our hope today, with the help of my amazing guests, is to really provide you with some resources um, and places to reach out to and ways to talk with your friends and loved ones um, so that you can make them feel safe um, to talk about maybe the thoughts that they're having around suicide. Um, in the last segment, I had shared that a lot of times um, when we talk with people who have lost um, somebody to suicide or we talk about the services here at our agency, it is amazing to me how many people come forward and say, I lost my family member to suicide or my daughter just lost her classmate to suicide. This is an issue that, acro- that really cr- crosses all ages. Um, and, um, you know, I think that when we look at our, our community, Um, I bet you if we do talk with somebody about the issue of suicide and bring it up, they will have somebody that they know. Um, I know myself, I had a classmate in high school that we lost to suicide, and I vividly remember that day. Um, And I remember also a few years ago losing a really uh, just beloved teacher. Um, So these things happen to to all of us. And Lisa, um, who's joining us today, um, comes to us with, with such a story of dealing with suicide and her family as she's lost both her sister and her aunt um, to suicide. So, Lisa, can you just tell us a little bit about about your story? Sure. Um, My younger sister, Beverly, was 18 when she took her own life. Um, This was 23 years ago. She was a senior in high school. She was getting ready to graduate. Um, Beverly was sweet and funny. She was bright, creative, and she loved animals. In fact, she left behind several pets. Um, Her death was a shock. And then five years later, my Aunt Betsy died by suicide. Her death wasn't so much a shock, but it was still unexpected. She had struggled with depression and a prescription drug addiction for years, Mm -hmm. so we knew that she was suffering. Okay, okay. 
So when you, you, as a survivor yourself, and I think this is the piece um, with this um, this part of the show I'd like to, to talk a little bit about because a lot of times um, when somebody does die by suicide, it's really um, difficult to talk about uh, the cause of the death. Um, sometimes people don't even talk about it at all. Um, it's just, you know, described as an unexpected death, and it's because mm-hmm. they feel... Um, you know, they're scared to talk about it. They might uh, feel that they'll be judged uh, from other family, friends, or neighbors um, because of, uh, you know, what, why, you know, why wasn't there help for this person or the various questions that sometimes come up. So can you talk a little bit from, from your survivor viewpoint um, of how to help those survivors who are listening to us today to, to know about that there is, there's hope in your healing as well? Um, and maybe what are things that they can do for themselves after losing somebody to suicide. Definitely. I remember um, when my sister first died and even for years after, if it just came in conversation like, oh, how many brothers and sisters do you have? A lot of times I would struggle with saying I have a brother and a sister or I have a brother or my sister died because I didn't want to have to answer the question because people would always have, you know, this shocked reaction as to how could your younger sister be dead, you know? Right, right. So I did struggle with that, and I think people still do, but now I'm able to talk about it. You know, my sister died by suicide. Um, And as a survivor, I think what people want from other people talking to you is um, something to remember is not to ask the survivor, how did the person die? Absolutely. It's Absolutely. not an important question. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes people uncomfortable. And really, why do you need to know that? You know, right. that's the big question. Right. Another thing that's helpful is to not say committed suicide. Um, when people, and for years, you know, that's what people have said is somebody committed suicide. And we're looking at it as you commit crimes, So another way to say it is someone died by suicide or someone took their own life. It's just more respectful. Absolutely. And I'm really, really glad you brought that up because I know that's something that we talk about um, in our work. I know um, it's actually something I've even worked with my my stepson about, Mm -hmm. you know, in how we talk about suicide and and just being conscious of the words that we're using to describe that because, um, you know, there's other there's people that are experiencing them living this. There's their feelings that need to be respected as part of that process. And um, it's really an important piece for us as a community to know how to support um, each other after a suicide. Um, Now, in the work that you do in the schools, Lisa, and we see this a lot around high schools, or even we unfortunately have seen it locally here with even some elementary schools with some younger children who have died by suicide, from kind of shifting gears with how do you support a family member or a school community after a suicide? What are some things that people should be aware of? Um, Being open to the discussion, but what we do in the schools is we have to respect what the family wants. So if a student does die by suicide or one of their family members does, we always make sure we talk to the family about what they want because although we want to be open and talking about it, some people aren't ready for it. So we have to meet the family where they're at Mm -hmm. to talk about it. We offer support, you know, all the community agencies, all the websites. There's apps now that can help people. There's lots of information. Okay, okay. I know... um 
locally here in our area, we have been uh, working on some efforts to get as many people in their schools trained around suicide prevention, um, intervention, as well as what's referred to as postvention, so how to respond after a suicide. Um, and locally, we've been using what's called the Lifelines Curriculum, an evidence-based program um, that the school community has joined in and sends people for training and then works to really implement that into their policies and response. Olivia, can you talk a little bit about the Lifelines curriculum for the schools? Because I think for our listeners today, um, you know, the school is such a an important place for our young children and our young adults. Um, they're there many hours of the day, you know, between school and activities. And so for our teachers to feel and our school personnel to feel um, secure in how to ad- talk about suicide with a young person as well as what to do as a school community and respond. And that Lifelines Trilogy curriculum really covers all those bases. So could you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So Lifelines was created by Maureen Underwood, who is the clinical supervisor, um, the clinical counselor for the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide. And all of her work has been surrounded by grief and and supporting of, uh, of suicide in the schools. And so it's one of the only evidence-based curriculums that's out there and offers what we called the trilogy. It really trains our faculty and our staff and our counseling departments and within our schools how to, you know, prevent suicide, how to intervene if a student is thinking about suicide, and then how to respond in the wake of a trauma. And so, you know, it's really important if a school doesn't have a policy around suicide prevention that they they act to implement that um, because it helps to really respond um, rather than at the moment of need or in the moment of crisis. So we you know, we teach our, our, our actual middle school um, t- teachers how to implement a curriculum where the students learn how to support um, each other, how to support themselves, but in a healthy way, you know, learning how not to keep secrets and who are your identified, um, you know, safe teachers and safe, um, you know, certainly all of our teachers are safe, but how to implement, um, you know, within your schools that students feel safe to talk to the, you know, the teachers and the counselors and their coaches. Um, So learning how to detect if a student's at risk and then what to do. But our postvention piece, I think, is really important because it does teach a school how to respond in, in order in a safe way. You know, we often get questions, and I know, Lisa, we've talked about this, about mm-hmm. memorials. And, oh, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah. A big thing, right? You know, and in our communities, we want our schools to support our students, but we get a lot of questions when a school says, you know, we actually have a policy around memorials and, and what's appropriate and what isn't because we don't want to impact any other students who could be vulnerable in your school. So if you're struggling as a school to um, walk through that process, you know, reaching out to your local crisis center for support with that um, or AFSP or AAS or even us, you know, Mm -hmm. they can email us to sort of start that conversation. Absolutely. And I think um, one of the things we always, we talk about when there's a suicide in a school is the concern that for contagion, meaning Mm -hmm. that, you know, the next, is there, is there other students that may, um, may act as well? Um, and so what are some things that, um, you know, again, in dealing with that issue within a school, what are some planning steps that schools can take um, to be on more high alert, I guess, after a student dies by suicide so that they are kind of expanding their, their safety net, mm-hmm. if you will, yeah. to make sure that there aren't any other um, suicides that occur? I think it's important to treat a suicide death like any other death of a student. Um, we don't want to make it different because 
you know, we don't want the contagion and we don't want to do different memorials like Olivia said. But I, but what we do is have more support staff available, check in with students more often and teachers and staff because, the, you know, the staff is affected just as much as the students. Absolutely. So right, we right. really make sure that we offer a lot of extra support and check in. And a lot of our teachers and support staff know students and know their background and know what issues they're up against. So we know which ones may be more vulnerable, but, we, but it doesn't mean you don't have to be aware of all of them. We also want to, you know, talk a little bit about that idea around contagion because earlier we said that you can't, you know, put the idea of suicide into someone's head. But what we talk about with contagion is that, um, you know, the more details that are um, given to our students and to our community around a death, it allows somebody who's vulnerable to see their own situation in mm -hmm. front of them. And it does put them at a greater risk if they have, you know, kind of just large quantities of information being sent home. So we talk a lot about safe messaging and how to, um, you know, share about the death and about the suicide, but in a way that makes it safe for the community and for the schools right. and the students. Right. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Lisa, um, you know, with your experience as a survivor, um, you know, the healing process, um, I think is just forever, yes. right? Yeah. It's, it really becomes a part of who you are, mm -hmm. um, your family. Um, so what are some, some maybe supportive words of encouragement or um, maybe some recommendations you could give to individuals who have lost somebody to suicide um, to help take care of themselves after experiencing that loss? Yeah, I think I remember the day I found out that my sister died. I was 20 years old and my dad and my brother came over to tell me and I remember being in shock and disbelief but then the first question I asked was if she's not here then where is she so that started my healing process because I had so much to look into I had so many questions like um, if she's not here did she go to heaven did she you know I had never experienced right, right. a young loss I had had like a great grandparent die and I just accepted it and said oh they went to heaven you know right but when something like this happens when she killed herself and she was younger than me and she was my sister it was a whole different journey working towards the healing and acceptance um and there's all different things that you know helped me through it it was therapy support groups friends um I was in a art program in college, so art and music. You know, everybody's different yes. with what helps them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But um, I think it's important to remember that nothing can bring our loved ones back. We have to move forward, so we just have to find what works for us. We have to accept it as a change, and we can't find peace if we feel something is broken or wrong. And just to accept that it isn't broken or wrong, it's just different, and how are we going to deal with that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, I know that when you mentioned your aunt's story, you had shared that, um, you know, she had some other other issues that she was dealing with, mm -hmm. um, with addiction and things like that. Um, and sometimes that's a scary place to be in because you're, you're watching somebody going through um, all of these challenges and you don't know what to do to help them. And you are concerned that it might end up with a death um, or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, what were some of the things that you, you worked through with your aunt? Um, because it's two very two different situations, but, yeah. but still, like, how do you support 
your your loved one when they're going through such a, a very complex um, experience when there's drugs or there's other types of issues like that? It's hard. I mean, substance abuse and addiction is hard in general because, you, as you know, I mean, people have to want to change and have to want to stop. So her being an adult and making these choices, it was very hard for anybody to have any control over her actions. Right, right. So it was, you know, first accepting that she had an addiction problem and then accepting that she decided to end her life. Um, where I think people, it's a struggle because with a case like that, you're kind of, you're not relieved that she died by suicide, but you're relieved that her pain is over and her suffering is over. Yeah. So it's different than when a teenager, right? you know, it's a different impulsively, experience. yeah. It's it's different, and I, I mean, the hard thing for me was watching my mother because it was her sister, and before that, she lost her daughter. Oh, absolutely, so, you know, absolutely. it was. It's hard to get through that because you're healing, you know, for about five years, and then it happens again. I remember being at the, I was Christmas shopping. It was Christmas Eve, and my mom called me and said, "Your aunt Betsy killed herself," and I said, "Oh." okay, well, I'm going to finish my Christmas shopping and then I'm going to go deal with that. You know, because I knew it was going to be hard. And I, you know, but I was in shock at the moment. So um, other things that help people heal, I think, is helping others. I've been doing a lot of work, you know, in the schools and in the community. And I think helping others is a way to heal because we share our stories and we show that our healing so that others might find their way onto the path of healing, too. It's sort of like uh, you can tell yourself, I can do this. Someone else has been through it. Um, helping others brings other survivors and other people who've even attempted suicide um, together, you know, to help each other in a positive way and help others. Absolutely. And one of the things we mentioned earlier when we did your introduction was to talk a little bit about your work. Um, and your, we see a lot of times survivors coming together um, with different organizations like the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and you're on the board for what we refer to as AFSP, Mm -hmm. um, and doing a lot of work around suicide prevention. And one of the things that you've been doing is co-chairing the um, Out of the Darkness Walk, which are national walks, so Mm -hmm. people can go to AFSP.org and find out when their walks are in their local community. But here in Buffalo, that walk has significantly increased over the last few years. Um, Do you remember how many people were at the walk last year here locally? We had, I think, close to 1,800 people last year, and this year is going to be the 10th year for the walk, so every year it has just grown exponentially. Yeah, and I think what's interesting as we've gone through the walks um, together, uh, we've all been present Mm -hmm. at the walks and we're talking with people who are there, it's bringing people who don't have to ask each other what happened. They've all lived that experience um, and can support one another, but also talk about ways to honor their loved one. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really an important step in in healing is is to honor that person and not keep that secret or quiet because Right. There's still your your sister, or your aunt, or mm-hmm. your loved one, and so um, it's just so important to kind of get involved and get around people that do um, have those same experiences. And the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is a great resource for people to to reach out to um, as well. So um, 
I thank you so much for sharing your story, Lisa. And, you know, I think one of the things we want to just reiterate is if you do need to talk to somebody, to please call the lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. We're going to continue to talk about suicide from loss to hope here on on the Voice America Health and Wellness Station. Um, So please stay tuned as we continue our conversation. And please continue um, to reach out for help if you need it during this segment at the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show & Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, Voice America at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pirro. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you again for joining us today for our premiere show of The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Uh, This is Jessica Pirro, and I'm just honored to be uh, with Olivia and Lisa today sharing uh, information around the issue of suicide um, and how important it is for us as a community, uh, as family members, as loved ones, even if it's just neighbors or acquaintances, to to play a role in um, helping to support each other um, to prevent uh, a death 
from occurring. Uh, throughout the show, we've talked a lot about um, the issue of suicide, some risks, factors, uh, signs of suicide. Uh, Lisa shared her her you know amazing story of her loss to suicide with her sister and her aunt. Uh, we've talked about some resources for schools to tap into. So I think this the last segment of this show, we'd like to really make sure you're leaving today with resources to know where to turn to. Um, and throughout the show, I've been sharing with you the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Um, it's a national line that will link you to your local crisis center and get you connected to your local resources. Um, if you're having thoughts of suicide, if you just need to talk to somebody about maybe a friend or a family member um, or find out what your resources are in your community, uh, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 273-8255. So I'd like to kind of spend some time talking about um, how do we help uh, people when they are expressing suicide? We, uh, I know one of the things we like to encourage people to do is reach out to the hotline, like the number we've been um, giving out today. And and I know here at Crisis Services, we provide uh, uh, our hotline um, for suicide prevention and intervention resources. Um, but in every community, there's a hotline. There's also what are referred to as mobile outreach teams, which are teams that can come out and meet with somebody who is having thoughts of suicide, um, maybe having a mental health crisis, um, to really help provide safety and support um, and really stabilize the situation to the best that we can. Um, and if needed, maybe need to take somebody to the hospital to be evaluated and maybe uh, receive more intensive types of care. Um, And I know our local law enforcement also get called out a lot uh, around suicide um, issues as well. Um, But depending on your own community and what's available to you, um, please reach out uh, for help. I think one of the messages today that we really want to leave you with um, is to know that you're not alone. Um, I think in any time when you're struggling, you feel like no one can understand, you feel like you're... um, you're not normal, uh, that these feelings aren't normal. You know, everyone around us has challenges each and every day. Um, Some days are better than others for some, and it's really critical for us to um, be a part of helping to provide that safety net of support uh, for our loved ones and our friends and our community. So one of the things I wanted to talk a little bit about is when you're talking with somebody about suicide and they've expressed concerns around suicide. Uh, We talked about being very direct in asking questions of them. Um, But let's say somebody just says, well, I'm just having these thoughts. I'm not planning to do anything. You know, I'm just having a hard day. Um, What are some things that you could do with somebody to help make sure that that's just not a comment to get you to go away, but to make sure that they have really a plan in place to keep them safe? What are some steps that we can do with somebody. Yeah. And, you know, in that moment, you know, being able to be non-judgmental and not move into immediately trying to solve all of the problems for that person, you know, that's kind of our human instinct is that immediately we want to be able to start just, you know, telling them ways to, to handle all of their problems. But, you know, in that moment, that's not really kind of where that person's at. They need a, a, you know, more basic kind of support. And one of the things that we talk about is being able to, um, you know, use some safety planning. First, I'd want to just really do some assurance that they aren't thinking about suicide. Um, 
um, and, and making them know that they can talk to me, that I'm here to help them. Um, and if they still say that they're safe, but I'm not sure, I'm going to call one of the numbers that we talk about today and, and get consul- you know consultation for the situation myself. But we also use um, safety planning apps, and it's something that an individual can actually do on their own or with their family member. You can download an app. We're all you know glued to our phones these days, <laughs> absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. You know? Everything is on that little phone. <laughs> the only place I, the only thing I don't lose, right, is my phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so being able to have that with you in times of crisis, you can pull it out and, and a safety planning is really being able to go down through and identify what are things that cause me to feel stressed out? What are things that I can do when I do, when I am feeling stressed out or I am having, you know, um, a, a crisis? What are things that help me? And then most importantly, um, you know, who are the people that I'm going to call in my life that if I'm struggling are going to be there to support me? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing to see, um, where we've come to, especially with the use of technology for um, just support and help. I mean, besides safety planning apps, there's a lot of um, resources online. Obviously, you can Google anything and get, right. you know, anything, but there's chat lines now. There's ways to to kind of do assessments um, to see, you know, what what are your concerns of, of acting maybe on your thoughts. Um, but the safety planning app that is, is out there is great because it really also helps you to really start to adapt identify ways that you just cope with various situations. And I think what it comes down to when we talk about issues of crisis, if it's suicide or any of the issues that really cause a crisis, it's about how we're reacting to that and what are our supports and resources immediately around us to to make sure that we can work through those feelings and also to remind ourselves who our supports are. In that Mm -hmm. time of a crisis, it's really hard. You feel like nobody cares and you really feel scared. And so to have something to kind of quickly pull up and yeah. be able to say, no, you know, my, my cousin Olivia is there for me and I'm going to call her today to help me through this and to know that they're part of you in a partnership with you to help you remain safe is, is really an important conversation to have with somebody who has expressed thoughts of suicide. Um, there are a lot of different resources. Um, the safety planning app, if you just put it in and search it, it it'll come up um, and it's for all phones, which is great. Yeah. I know. And most of them are free too. Oh, that's safety planning apps. Good, yeah. good. That's yeah. important. And I think another point about the apps, too, is you can share it with people. So it, say you're in a crisis, you're having trouble, you know, figuring out how to take care of yourself or how to calm yourself down. If someone is with you, you can say, here, look at my safety plan on my phone. And they can even read it to you or go through right, it with you. Right. Or, you know, you can share it with someone so that they know your safety plan as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's important to know, too, that, you know, Sometimes family members are a great resource and sometimes they're not. Mm -hmm. So we really do have to pay attention for you as an individual. Who is going to be that supportive Mm -hmm. ear for you? Who's not going to be judging you? Who's not going to tell you to just kind of snap out of it and get over it? Um, Really knowing who that person's going to be that's going to be non-judgmental for you at that moment is really, really important. And sometimes that isn't our own family. And I think that that is a hard thing, Mm -hmm. but at the same time important for us to identify um, because um, it could be life-saving who you might be talking to at that moment. Definitely, and it's very common in the schools when I'm working with students and we're coming up with a safety plan to say, you know, who are your supports in school and out of school? And a lot of times, you know, it may not be their immediate family. So sometimes we have to dig deep to find somebody that this student 
you know, finds as a support. A lot of times it's a teacher. It can be the bus driver, the bus aide, the school nurse, you know, whoever is a support for that student that they feel safe going to. And that goes for anyone, not just students. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think one of the things, too, that we, we talk a lot about here locally, and I know Olivia works hard every day in doing, is spreading the word about suicide prevention to all different types of disciplines. Um, it's not just, you know, for social workers to deal with. It's not just for school counselors to deal with, that it really is something that um, all disciplines, if it's law enforcement, if it's our medical providers, which is such a critical um, uh, player, I think, in, in helping to su- prevent suicide, um, that we all have a role in, in asking if it's our patients, if it's our colleagues, if it's our friends, um, if there's signs and symptoms there and concerns to, to reach out for help. Can we just talk quickly about um, with physicians and our primary care providers, why it's it's such a critical role for them to be asking about suicide if they have concerns. Yeah, absolutely. So just kind of piggybacking there, Jessica, that anybody can learn how to recognize the risk factors and warning signs for suicide. You know, I recently did a training and I asked everyone in the room, how many of you have gone through CPR or first aid? And almost the entire classroom raised their hand. And I said, how many of you have trained in understanding suicide? And I had one person kind of slyly like raise their hand (laughs) in the air, like maybe I have, you know, and so the reality is, is that, you know, I hope to see a day where everyone in the room is as trained in this kind of sort of first aid as, you know, as we do CPR and, and, and physical first aid. But in particular, with our primary care offices, you know, we're understanding that um, of the people who are dying right now by suicide, they're sometimes seeing primary care providers um, up to two or three times in the month or six months leading to an attempt or a death. And so we really want to emphasize that this is an area that we can increase uh, from our standpoint, our prevention efforts, that we can help to improve, um, you know, just asking anybody coming through the doors, you know, have you had thoughts of suicide? Are you currently thinking about suicide? Um, that it doesn't hurt to ask that question. It only helps. Um, so we are focusing on in, in improving lethality assessments, but just then what to do and connecting people to resources if they say yes. Yeah, and I know some primary care doctors are sending out a questionnaire before your um, physical appointment. Right, So right. like when they have those portals online where your information is, they'll send you an email saying, can you fill out this form before you come in for your physical? And it asks questions regarding depression or anxiety and things like that. So I think it's a start to getting to where we need to be. It is. I think we're in an exciting sort of shift in culture where we're mm-hmm. understanding how important this is and we're seeing um, the cooperation, you know, almost across the board and in interest of, uh, you know, doctors and um, other providers and just wanting to bring us in to, to provide support. Right. So I think what I'd like to do is just is provide our listeners with a review of the resources again. So we have been mentioning throughout the show that there's a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Again, this is a national hotline that will be able to link you to your local resources. Um, so you can call from anywhere and get linked to your local um hotline or other providers and that number is 1-800-273-TALK that's 1-800-273-8255 we talked a little bit about the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention and Lisa has been is on the board locally Mm -hmm. for that Um, their website is afsp.org and they have a lot of resources and information not only um, uh, about the out of the darkness walk that we talked about so survivors could come together but also just how to talk with your if it's your child or just anybody about the issues of suicide. So that's really a great yeah, website, definitely. right, to yeah, check and out. Yeah, they have school programs and community programs, too. 
Great, great. Um, there's also a lot of other resources. If you just Google suicide prevention, there's a ton of different websites. If it's the Suicide Prevention Resource Center, there's the American Association of Suicidology, the National Alliance, Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention. There's also the Society for Prevention for Teen Suicide that has really, really great resources for parents and loved ones around uh, talking with somebody um, that may be a teenager uh, that is experiencing that as well. Um, and also, again, we, we reiterate the, the hotline. Um, again, it's 1-800-273-8255. So I want to thank everybody uh, for joining us today for our premiere show of the Journey Stories of Crisis of Hope. I want to take a moment to thank Olivia Retallick and Lisa uh, Beringer for joining me today um, and sharing their story and their, their expertise and their support uh, for the community. Um, if you do have any comments or questions for me about the show, please don't hesitate to email me at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. And thank you so much for joining us this week, and I will see you back here next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for all my Buffalo folks who are <laughs> listening in. Um, but again, um, I'm going to leave you again with the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number is one 800 273 8255 1-800-273-8255 This is Jessica Pirro and thank you for joining me today on the journey Stories from Crisis to Hope Have a great week and help providing hope for others Thank you for tuning in to the journey Stories of Crisis and Hope Please join your host, Jessica Pirro, for another edition of the program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.